Listening to you uh, sing and worship today uh, was a great joy uh, just to hear your voices lifted up. It's, it really is a beautiful sound, and I know some of you are saying, yeah, I'm not adding much beauty to that sound, but you are. You're adding beauty to the sound of our hearts looking to, to Christ together, and that's a real joy. Hey, I want to give you just a couple encouragements as we get started. If you heard the announcements this morning, we're really leaning into the Feed My Starving Children food pack, and seriously, probably one of the best events that we have done. If you've never been a part of it, we want to really encourage you to do that today. If you can participate and give a donation, great, we love that. If you can participate, give a donation, and build a team, even better. I tell you, if you have people in your life right now who don't even know Jesus, probably wouldn't come to a church service with you, but you say to them, hey, neighbor or friend or coworker or whatever, why don't you kind of help me uh, change the world just a little bit by feeding some starving children? I guarantee you, you've got some people in your life that would say yes to that, and it'll be an awesome opportunity. So we want to encourage you to look into that. If you can't participate... But you say, well, I can't be there on that day, but I could give something for it. Then donate. That would be good too. And if you can't donate, it's just not a good time for you right now to give anything, but you can participate. That's good. I guess what I'm trying to say is there's lots of ways to get involved, and our team is in the lobby today, and we've got the stuff set up online. So we would love for you to participate in this, to round up some people, to be a, a little magnet and get some other people going as well. So really, really good things that are happening. All right, we're going to get into God's Word together. We're starting a new series today called Draw Near, and it's all about worship. And today, by God's grace, what we want to do is kind of get our, our sights set on the direction that God would have for us, and then also get our hearts ready for the communion table. So if you're thinking, oh, that's right, communion, I forgot to get the elements. We're actually doing it a little bit differently today in that we're going to give you time at the end of the service as a worship response uh, that you would be able to move to the different stations. So if you have communion elements with you right now, no problem, just hang on to them. If you don't have them yet, no problem, you'll have time to get them at the end of the service. And uh, we're sort of expanding the opportunity a little bit. We've been doing the two cup things for a while, primarily because it's, it's more sanitary, it's a little easy, we're not spreading germs around. Uh, today we also have the option of uh, communion by intinction, which is when you rip the bread off and that you would dip that in and you would take the communion right there. But that's all going to be part of our communion uh, experience and worship experience at the end of the service today, and I think will just be a wonderful uh, practical way for us to begin to put into practice what we're talking about, which is coming out of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to get to that in just a few moments. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? You know, we talk about that word in church a lot. Um, we don't use that word in a lot of places outside of church. And if you grew up in the church, as some of you have, and I did, worship is generally synonymous with music. So if your church was traditional, then worship refers to traditional music, the sacred hymns and the choir cantatas and the piano and the organ, and likely would focus a lot in that kind of setting on a celebration of the unchanging nature of God, which is a beautiful slice of what worship allows us to do. I have great memories uh, of singing hymns when I was a little kid, uh, even before I could read well enough to use the hymnal, uh, I was like learning words and, and melodies in my mind, and, and I'd sing them out with the, with the church congregation in the little country church where I grew up, and it was beautiful. 
Uh, I do. I will say, uh, my mom remembers me singing out the hymn, Oh, victory in Jesus. Some of you guys know that one. My Savior forever. And then I would sing in my little boy voice, He shot me and bought me with his redeeming blood. Because I didn't know. I couldn't read very well. I was just trying to figure it out. It was fun. It was good. But it was beautiful. And I got a little bit older. Well, actually, before that, you know, if you grew up in a contemporary church then then worship maybe is in reference to more contemporary music praise songs and choruses guitars and drums and uh, the Jesus movement and the, the creation festival kind of stuff that was all a part of my growing up and oftentimes maybe focuses on the celebration of singing a new song to the Lord which is also a beautiful and wonderful part of our musical worship so you know I started getting older and my faith began to deepen, and, and I had a, a great appreciation for the hymns of my childhood as well as the new songs of my young adulthood. But I, I was beginning to see, the older I got, that, that my understanding of worship as music, though not unbiblical, was simply not, not deep enough. Uh, it was a little too narrow of a view. I was reading verses like Romans 12, 1 to 2. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Not conforming to the pattern of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind, being able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. And so a, a broader sort of definition of worship began to emerge, like the commentaries that say worship is the giving of our entire self, our thoughts and our emotions, our will to God's use. All of life as an act of submission, an act of worship, our service to God not centered on a time or a temple, but it is done whenever and wherever we are because we're the temple of God. Now that's a high calling and it's sort of a broad definition of what worship can look like permeating the various aspects of our life. But just as my first musical definition of worship seemed a little narrow, the giving of everything seems a little broad. I'm not quite sure how to quantify that or maybe at times have trouble living that out. I also made this other observation. This is not the topic of our message today, but I think it bears noting. Have you ever noticed that your personal worship can elevate your corporate experience pretty dramatically. Like I've sat through services that by all definition would be pretty dry. I mean, there's like not a lot of life or fire going on there. But when my personal worship was sort of alive and active and I'm kind of in alignment with God's will and I'm listening for his voice and responding in obedience throughout the week, I come into that corporate experience that maybe otherwise would be a little dry and I find myself still encountering the presence of God. And I find that to be kind of an interesting observation. But then the opposite is sort of true as well. I don't know if you've experienced this, that we can have these times where the corporate experience can actually elevate your personal encounter with the Lord in worship too. And that's actually kind of special because if you've ever come to church or a gathering of believers where you just kind of drag your butt there because you're like, oh, I don't want to be here. I, I'm distracted or I'm frustrated, discouraged or whatever. And you come in with your tank kind of empty. Has anybody ever been there? 
And, and sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, this has happened to me, that in the midst of that experience, and yes, that does happen with pastoral people too, but you come in and you're sort of empty and depleted, and then the engagement with and the, the interaction with other people, and you see their faith and their worship, and all of a sudden, something kind of starts to get kindled in your heart that maybe wasn't before. So the corporate experience can elevate my personal worship and that's actually quite beautiful when that happens and that's happened here to me many times so today as we begin this new series on worship the series is called draw near and we're going to base this all out of the book of hebrews and i've had a sense for some months in preparation for this uh, that god has some things that he wants to do some pieces that he wants to set for us that may even determine some of the direction of, of where he might take us. And I'm talking sort of big picture things like this, that, that God might through this series ignite a greater hunger in us for his presence. And, and somebody might even say, you know, I need, a little, <laughs> I, need a little, I need a little work in that area. I don't necessarily have a hunger for the presence of God. And you can be honest about that. But that maybe even through this series you would find an increase in your hunger. That our theological understanding of worship might go deeper as we're given a more biblical grid of, of why we do this thing called worship. What, what is this thing called worship? Why do we do it? Uh, why do we sing songs? And different, so we're going to dig into that a little bit. I uh, really want to lean into the union of worship and prayer and that that would become more apparent and more practical in your own life, that we would become better established in the Word of God as a significant part of our worship. Like when we're called in, that we're hearing the voice of Jesus call us in. We actually pray for you on a weekly basis that you would encounter the voice of God in these gatherings. So that's kind of a cool experience for us in worship. Um, we will live out of the communion that marks us as Jesus' people. So today, the, the communion experience of remembering the broken body and the, the shed blood of Christ, the finished work that he has, that's something that we celebrate you know, on a monthly basis here, and we do that, and it takes a few moments, but we live out of that in our lives of worship all the time. So those are some of the things I think that we might even look back on these weeks and see how God has established some things. So suffice it to say, we're not going to cover every aspect of worship today or even in this series, but the idea that God has more for us. We're not done growing in this central point of following Christ. Today, by God's grace, we want to set some direction for the series, and then in a very practical act of worship, we'll meet God at the communion table. So I want you to look in Hebrews chapter 4 with me. I want to read a specific passage with you. Then we're actually going to start. I'm going to give you an overview of the whole book of Hebrews. I'm going to do it pretty quickly. Uh, but I think that that's an important thing for us just to get some context for this. Which is Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16. That's our primary text for today. And it reads this way. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. So let me give you a quick overview of the book of Hebrews. Why, why do we go to Hebrews to talk about worship? Well, the author of Hebrews, first of all, is not identified. So we don't know precisely who the author is of the letter. In fact, as you're going to see, I'm going to read a few verses from the first chapter. It really it just jumps right in to the main thrust of this book, which is the elevation of Christ as superior and then a warning to Christ followers to stay true and to stay faithful. That's really what the book is all about. But we don't know who the author is. Some people suppose it to be Paul. Some suppose it to be Barnabas. Some wonder if it's Apollos. But it certainly is written with apostolic authority, and it fits beautifully within the canon of Scripture. In fact, I think that you will find this to be a rich bridge, if you will, if you're trying to understand the Old Covenant and Old Testament work of God leading to Christ and the New Covenant, New Testament work of Christ leading out from his finished resurrection. Um, it's, it's a powerful, powerful book that serves as an incredible bridge for us. And, and I actually would like to give you this challenge for those of you who would like a little homework today. Uh, I want to encourage you to read the book of Hebrews. It's, it's 13 chapters. You could do it devotionally. You could do it in one sitting if you wanted to. But I want to encourage you this week to read through the book of Hebrews. And if reading is a little bit tricky for you and you want a, just a really nice visual overview, I did this uh, just this last week, was looking at the Bible Project, guys. If you look on YouTube or whatever, Bible Project, book of Hebrews, look that up. It's excellent excellent summary and will help you understand the great a great context of this book of hebrews but listen how this begins the whole book begins this way again right to the point long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke to our fathers by the prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he also he created the world he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, that is Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. These opening verses, I mean, they are, they are so theologically rich when you really start digging in and you start to see the whole book unfold of what God has done and what Jesus is in the process of doing and what it means for us to be able to be brought into his presence. But we see right from here, we're not preaching on this passage today, but we see God speaks like, that's a huge deal. If you are somebody who is saying, I want to try to understand who God is and what he has done, trying to understand and, and what does it mean to walk out in a life of faith, the fact that God speaks is a significant thing. So the author begins with this. We know that he speaks, and he spoke through the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken by his son. So the words of Jesus were the words of of the creator God, that Jesus is the exact representation of God who redeems us. That is so vital. I think, like, if we don't, if we don't get that, or if that's sort of muddy, or, you know, it just, it's so hard to understand the concept of worship and all of the biblical grid that we want to build throughout this series. But God speaks, the words of Jesus are the words of creator God, Jesus, the exact representation of God who redeems us. Now, if you want to get a quick overview of the book of Hebrews, it kind of looks like this. It begins talking about Jesus being superior to angels. Then it talks about Jesus being superior to Moses. Then it talks about Jesus being superior to the sacrifices of the Old Covenant. Then it talks about Jesus, well, first, the, the superior to the line of the priests. This whole idea of superiority is really fascinating. 
Jesus superior to the angels, you would think that's kind of a weird way to start, but if you know the Jewish tradition, the message of God was always carried by angels. How much more important now is the message of Christ whose status is higher than that of angels? So that gets established in the beginning. Jesus superior to Moses, that Moses was the leader of God's people, the builder of God's tabernacle, which was the epicenter of worship in the Old Covenant, that Israel missed out on God's rest because they failed to follow their leader faithfully. So he's saying, how much more important that we not harden our hearts as we follow the better Moses known as Jesus. Jesus is superior to the priests in the line of Aaron. The priests of the Old Testament were flawed people who were insufficient in their ability to truly stand in the gap between sinful people and a holy God. Humanity needed a better mediator to truly fulfill the covenant. And Jesus is that better priest, as we see in our scripture today. Hebrews 8 to 10. Jesus is superior to the sacrifices of the Old Covenant. That Jesus' sacrifice is the permanent completion of the Old Covenant and that he is the initiator of the New Covenant. So that when we come to communion today, we're reading the scripture that tells us this is the blood of the New Covenant. And that's what you walk in. That's what you worship under today. Now we become the temple in which God's presence may dwell. That is an awesome picture of worship in our day. We've got to get our heads around it. Uh, Hebrews 11 to 13 basically says, therefore now we're going to live out this reality. Because Jesus is the true and living word of God, the leader who leads us into his rest, he's the true priest who mediates a new covenant and the perfect sacrifice that paid the price for our sin once and for all, we now live out a life of faith. We stand strong even through persecution and hardship because God's not going to abandon his people. So that's the context of the big picture and a really long introduction for the scripture that we're looking at today. But it gives us a powerful picture as you begin to connect the dots of what worship is really all about. I want you just to focus again on this passage we looked at and look at Hebrews uh, 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Back to our definition of worship. Worship as musical offerings to God is good, but it's a bit narrow. Worship as our lives lived for God's glory is better, but it can feel a bit broad. I think that Hebrews 4.16 gives us a great definition of worship that is both theologically rich and grounded and it is personally accessible. That's what we are doing. It's like what you are doing right now. So in the, in the heart of this message, I just want to give you five words to kind of help get your heart ready for communion. Five words that I see among the beautiful revelation of today's passage. We see worship encounters that are, and here's the five words, invitational, foundational, interactive, transformational, and non-prescriptive, which sounds kind of like an odd one to put on, but I think it's an important one, and we'll explain that when we get to it. So first of all, a worship encounter that is invitational. Well, the title of this message is, You Were Made for This. 
And I would just simply ask you at the onset of this series to consider, what if that is true? What if your greatest pursuits in your life were meant to be grounded in a relationship with your creator? What if you had a high calling on your life to be a living temple for the indwelling presence of God? Think about this for me, with me just for a moment. What impact would it have on the church if our services were filled with people who were responding to this invitation to come and to seek the presence of God? Think about what that does to your corporate worship when you're standing among people who are saying, I'm seeking the presence of the Lord. I'm coming to the throne of grace. I'm getting myself out of the way. It's a beautiful thing, and we've experienced taste of that even today. Think about what impact would it have on the world if our weeks were filled with people who were living out the invitation to draw near. This is your call to personal worship. This is where we pray that God will stir up a hunger in you for more of Him. In fact, that's one of the best blessing prayers that you can pray. When you pray for your family, you pray for your neighborhood, you pray for people under you in ministry, whatever. Pray that God would stir up a hunger in their heart for more of Him. That's a great starting place to learn what it is to be a worshiper and to receive this encounter that is invitational. You can come to the presence of God as you are. And you can leave the presence of God different than you were. This incredible invitation goes back so, I mean, it goes back to the, to the very beginning. Early church fathers like Augustine of Hippo, he said this, listen to this honest assessment in prayer. He says, you, God, never go away from us, yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Come, Lord, stir us up and call us back. Kindle and seize us. Be our fire and our sweetness. And then he says, let us love and let us run. That's a sermon. I mean, that's a calling in and a sending out and a waiting on the blessing and anticipation of what God can do. And this is the invitation that we see in Hebrews to say, come into the presence. Come with confidence. Come boldly. Now, I want to acknowledge that there's a lot of times we come to church services and we are anything but bold and confident and we are anything but focused. And that is going to be the case sometimes, but I want you to hear the invitation that even today you might hear the Spirit of God saying, go ahead and put some of that stuff down for just a few, few moments. Because there's something in this transaction, there's something in this encounter that you are not going to get anywhere else. Learn what it is to seek me. God, be our fire. God, be our sweetness. Let us love. Let us run. So the worship encounter is first, it's invitational. Hear that invitation today. The worship encounter is foundational. That's our second one I want to look at with you as we make this observation. To the believers in the room or listening to this message, I want to simply say this to you. We have more than we realize. We have more than we realize. To the unbeliever, I would say this. You may be missing out on more than you realize. There's more there. 
You can keep pressing in. Now, I remember a funny story that happened to me several years ago. I was at a basketball game. Amy and I were at the Bryce Jordan Center. This is a long, long time ago. And we were getting ready for the game to start, and somebody came up to me, and they said, um, do you want to participate in a halftime game? Go out and shoot some foul shots against somebody else. And I was like, ah, I don't know about that. And Amy was like, come on, you should say yes. And I thought, well, I've never been asked to do this before. What's the worst that can happen? I'm going to go out in front of 2,000 people and miss a bunch of shots and not win or whatever. So I went out. Turns out that me in front of thousands of people shooting foul shots is exactly the motivation I needed because I, like, didn't miss any. I crushed my opponent who was a seventh grader. I actually said to the person, why you put me up against a seventh grader? That's a no-win situation. If I beat him, I look like a bully, and if I lose to him, I lost to a seventh grader. It's not cool, man. But I won, and I got a prize, and I went back to my seat, and Amy said, what'd you get? And I said, I got a six-inch sub from Subway. And I took my certificate, I put it in my pocket. It was in my, in my wallet, and I hung onto it for like a year. Just sort of forgot it was there. And then, sometime later, we were out and about, and I said, oh, I got a six-inch sub from Subway. I'm going to go. So I, we, we went into Subway, and I slapped that thing down, and I said, let's have that six-inch sub. Have that sub. And, and the guy looks at it, and he goes, oh, sorry, you have to call this in 24 hours in advance. I was like, for a six-inch sub? He said, no, for a six-foot sub. I was like, we got a six-foot sub. I got five and a half feet of sub I didn't even know I had. I've been carrying it around in my wallet for a year. This is awesome. So we had a whole party with that sub. I mean, it was, I thought I had a lunch. I had a whole party, right? What's my, what's my, what's my point? We have more than we realize. You know what I mean? Like, we go through the motions of our Jesus experience, our church experience, our worship experience, not realizing the treasure that we actually have. The beauty of being able, God saying, I want you to come into my presence. I want you to actually hear from me. I want you to actually respond with me. I want you to receive from me. I mean, this is high level stuff. And God having said, and I will put the whole thing in place with an extremely costly sacrifice. It will invite you into my presence. Jesus, our great high priest. And because of his finished work, we have more than we realize. So this notion of a worship encounter, it is so foundational. It causes me to ask the question when I think about it in my right spiritual mind, is this what becoming a Christian actually means? That there is a relationship with Jesus. Is there a relationship with Jesus apart from worship? And is this perhaps why Jesus himself said, there will be people who call me Lord, Lord, and I say, I never knew you. Because the open door of invitation was actually to be a worshiper and to be in his presence. Wow. It is entirely possible that I've spent a lot of my life, too much of my life, underestimating the privilege that I have been given to draw near to the presence of God. And it's entirely possible that you have too. Now, if that hits your heart in a way that you go, oh, man. Let's just say this right now. We cast off guilt in Jesus' name because guilt is from the devil. And the devil wants you to feel worthless and you've messed it, missed all your opportunities or whatever. We cast that off in Jesus' name. And we receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit 
Because that's always good. And you ever notice that when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, it's always specific? He always begins to show you there. So it might be even much more specific than what I'm saying, but receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's part of the change that happens when we're in His presence. And make a declaration in the spirit of this series. I will draw near to God. Even if it takes me the rest of my life to figure out how. I'm going to make that the trajectory of my heart. It's that foundational. So worship, it can't be optional. It's not an optional thing. We got we to lean in. Just number two. Number three, worship encounter that is interactive. I love this in Hebrews 4. It's just such a beautiful exchange of coming in. Uh, you know where your heart's at. You know what your needs are. God knows what your needs are even better than you do. Imagine that, imagine that right? So uh, what, what if next time you pray, you even just say, Lord, maybe, why don't you tell me what my needs are? I think I, I always tell you what I think my needs are. And maybe you're right some of the time. Maybe you're acutely aware of a need today. Maybe God needs to speak to you too. But it's, it's, it's interactive. How would the world change if we understood this part better? This point and the next are sort of related. But think about this interaction. Because what we see in our world today is the result of sometimes generations of people seeking life in all the wrong places. You know, so the worship encounter with God is we're actually coming in and finding help and finding grace at our actual places of need. That, that's a much different thing than what's happened in the world. And it also means that we don't have to become anxious when we see the messes in our world, right? When you see just like, I mean, look, I, I feel like I'm getting old because I, I, I look around, I go, oh, this world's going to hell and I am. But I mean, like, my natural inclination is to become anxious when I look at the condition of the world. But in worship, and that was a good word we heard this morning, that, you know, worry makes all these problems feel really big. And worship kind of helps us to have the perspective of how big God really is. So I don't have to become anxious about this but there's this interactive thing that's happening seeking life in the wrong places that is the story of the world that you live in that's the sto- that's your story apart from christ so don't be anxious about it don't be freaked out by it but realize that god is calling us to be grounded in him it's just beautiful interaction i've been focusing a lot on jeremiah 2 13 this this verse has come to me a lot in prayer when i pray for our, our region when i pray for our area Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, that's number one, the fountain of living waters. And the second is this, they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Like that's the mess in your world. And sometimes that's the mess in your life. And sometimes that's the mess in the church. I mean, this Jesus or God was actually speaking this to his people. It was, the, it was the mess in his people's life. But it's the definition of the, the worldly mentality that says we want to live apart from God as opposed to a heart of worship that says I'm, I'm a seeker of God. The goal of worship is not to put your head in the sand and simply escape the mess of the world out there. But think about this in the spirit of interaction. We are receiving from God himself. We are, when we get this right, we are getting what we need 
to be salt and to be light in our world from him. And that's not a bad gig. It's not a bad deal. In fact, it's an incredible honor. So worship encounter that is to see this interaction. And then by nature, the, the fourth one, worship encounter that is transformational. And I would simply say, if there was ever a time that a lost world that is crying out for a picture of worship that is transformational, if there's ever a time that people are crying out for that, it's now. Charles Spurgeon said, nothing teaches about the, pre- teaches about the preciousness of the creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. So think about this. Think about the beautiful shift that happens when we get worship right, which sometimes we do. We are invited into the very presence of God, and slowly but surely, we begin to be transformed. That's a whole message in and of itself. I'm not going to focus on it entirely today. But we move from routine things to transcendent things. That's a, that's a God work. There, there are many of us, even right now, you, you got the routine. You, the, the routine of life is making you busy and anxious. And God says in worship, I want you to kind of put that aside, even for 90 minutes, an hour, 45, whatever it is, and begin to think about that which is greater. We move from that which is routine to transcendent. We move from temporary to that which is eternal. We move from fear to wonder. That's why we stand in the presence of God. There's this a wonder. We, listen to this one. We move from self-preoccupancy, which is a real killer, by the way. I mean, that is essentially saying, I know what my God is. It's me. And that's the biggest one that kind of needs to get out of the way for true worship to happen. I move out of self-preoccupancy and into gratitude to be thankful. That's the whole message in itself. I love this quote from John Ortberg. He's a modern writer, pastor, speaker, wonderful, talented leader. And he says this, I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me and I live in fear. I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. I need to worship because without it I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and plod through life with blinders on. I need to worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. So you might not always see it, but I guarantee you if you've walked with Christ for any amount of time and you begin to, there's this beautiful thing about looking in the rearview mirror right and some of you have a lot of rearview mirror right I'm saying you're old but I'm saying it nicely (laughs) you're older and you're wiser and you've gone through the the twists and the turns and 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 you can look back and you see the changes in your own life and many of us even that aren't that old and wise would say I'm not the same man I used to be what's happening you're being transformed in the presence of God worship is transformational so let me hit the last one. The last one, which sounds a little bit funny, is that worship, worship encounter that is non-prescriptive. Do you notice that this, this passage in Hebrews, it actually doesn't give the specifics of how the worship encounter plays out, which is why 
the expressions of worship across cultures and ages and generations that have, are, are wonderful and diverse and different. So this is a wonderful non-prescriptive invitation. It keeps the intellectual from feeling like they must conform to an emotional mode that frankly they just say, this doesn't really fit me. I don't, I don't, I don't know how to engage in this way. And it keeps the more mystical Jesus lover from feeling like they need to crack some kind of philosophical code to really understand God. There is something beautifully non-prescriptive about saying, allow Jesus and his finished work to welcome you into the presence of God. And the change and the transformation and the things that he will do there may look different from one life to another. And that's okay. A.W. Tozer who himself, one of my staff was saying to me, Tozer's hard to read because he's like, he's, he's, his, his fire of God's presence kind of experience. Like, I've never had all of those experiences, and sometimes I don't know where to start with that. Tozer, who has a very experiential encounters with God, actually said this in his book called uh, Knowledge of the Holy, which is a really interesting book. But he's talking about the differences of our encounters with God, and he gives examples like he says, you know, a guy like John Calvin, who he says he's going to be like the studious, intellectual kind of approach, is going to have a very different worship experience and encounter with God than St. Francis of Assisi. St. Francis, who was like the mystic of mystics, and say like, hey, we're all, you know, we're, we're as a priesthood of believers, uh, as human beings, we're lifting up the, the praise of creation, so uh, gathering crickets and butterflies, and together we're lifting up, and John Calvin would be like, what are you doing? And St. Francis is saying, what are you doing? And here's Tozer saying, Calvin the student and St. Francis the mystic would likely not understand each other's approach to worship. But they're coming in through the door of Jesus Christ. That's the marker. Is your worship based on the finished work of Christ? If it's not, you're not in the right space. And, and in this particular example, he would say, well, okay, one is perhaps leading with the head and the other perhaps leading with the heart. He said, maybe one flies a little higher and maybe one flies a little longer and I'll let you figure out which is which. <laughs> and I might add to it and say this, that God is not limited to the size of your intellect. So I know that there are many of us that we lead into the presence sort of head first. And that's not a bad place to be, but just understand that God is not limited to the size of your intellect. And there are the others of us that are we're just, we're feelers. You know, we, we go into the experience of worship sort of heart first. And I would say that God does not change to the shape of your emotion. But God is so gracious and so generous when we come to him with matters of the head and of the heart. And all of it can be a beautiful expression of worship. You may be asking, so which one are you, Aaron? And what you might actually be a little surprised to find is that my experience with the presence of God has oftentimes been much more head than heart. And at times I've felt even a little jealous of brothers and sisters where I'm like, man, it's like, you like just wake up in the morning and God just starts talking to you. How do you get there? But I want to grow in the pursuit of God. 
And I started praying a long time ago. God, whatever you want to do according to your will and based on the finished work of Jesus, I want to be open to. And I've had to repent of creating a box for God that was too small. And that's also another worship killer. The day you've got God all figured out, you come to church with your book of how what he does and doesn't do, can and can't do, and everything else. And you'll get a picture of God that's about that big. God is gracious when we come to him with matters of the heart and the head. The head and the heart. And this invitation is beautifully non-prescriptive. I want you just to hear the scripture one more time. And maybe think this week, as you read Hebrews, as you think through, as you reflect on this, on this simple idea. You were made for this. You were made to be a worshiper. You're not too young to start thinking about that, by the way. Not too old to start thinking about that. You were made for this. So it might even be that you say, God, would you help me understand what that actually looks like and the beautiful ways that you want to work it out in me. So Jesus, we come to you today, we're grateful we hear the voice of the Spirit saying, draw near, draw near, draw near. We hear your words to us. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. That's what we're doing as we gather. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Aren't you glad that you have a high priest like that? Aren't you, just think about that for a moment. Just let that sink in for a moment. Aren't you glad that you have a high priest whose track record is infinitely better than yours ever could be? When we come to the communion table, we are saying, Jesus, thank you. You are the perfect sacrifice. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Beautiful, beautiful. Worship team is gonna lead us just in a, a brief song and then I'm gonna open up some communion time and then it's just gonna be your time to worship, to worship the Lord in communion, to draw near, to pray. So we'll invite you to do that in a moment. But let's just begin, uh, we'll lift our voices together uh, with a, vo a verse of this song. <laughs>